0: The Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to
2: the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heese, and we are here to become better habitat managers. What's up, everybody? First off and foremost, we are continuing our conversation with Jim Ward. Steve Taylor and Ben Oliverio. But we're giving away a $900 Colta Packer in the meantime. So, we've been talking about this for a while. We at Habitat Podcast are extremely grateful for the listeners, the loyal listenership, the support you guys have given over the years, the reviews, everything. We're going big. We are giving away a Packer Max HD Cultipacker, a $900 value, and the giveaway is live. People have already been signing up. Uh, there's a link in the show notes below. Scroll down, hit Packer Max giveaway, and sign yourself up for a $900 cultipacker, guys. This is the same one that I run. I used to run the standard, now I run the HD with a crimper attachment. This is just the HD unit, $900. bucks we are going to send it to a lucky Habitat podcast listener. You can go down, show notes, hit the Packer Max giveaway, or you can go to habitatpodcast.com and the very top of the homepage, hit the green button, enter giveaway, and you will be entered into this, the largest giveaway we've ever done in the history of Habitat podcast. And who better to do it with than our first partner, Packer Max called the Packers. So if you haven't signed up, get over there and sign up. We're going to give it away here prior to spring food plotting season. So make sure you get over there quick. Back to the podcast episode. This is part two to uh, episode 217 with Ben Oliverio, Steve Taylor, and Mr. Jim Ward. I went down. We did a Habitat property breakdown on Steve's new 80-acre piece in southern Michigan. So we paused the conversation halfway through. We went on for almost two hours. So we decided to make it two episodes. Check it out. And we're going to dive back into Access um food the rest of the conversation that you're missing from part one so thanks for coming back really excited to have you sorry for the week delay in between i got my recorder back i have the file we are good to go now i want to talk about you know i hope everybody is out there getting some habitat projects done if you're not part of the habitat chat facebook group we just hit like 4,400 members on that group i just welcome 20 new members again today uh, guys It's the best habitat facebook group out there um, it's called habitat chat dash by habitat podcast so everybody on there's very civil a ton of good information there's five to 15 brand new posts content a day questions projects pictures equipment the whole deal so if you're not on there check it out Facebook. The group is called Habitat Chat by Habitat Podcast. I want to thank our land plan clients. Brian and I wrapped up three more plans today. I want to thank Elliot. I want to thank Mike. And I want to thank Brad. You guys uh, trusted us with your properties. You know, I just some cool parcels out there that that you folks have that we get to, you know, go work on and and shed some light on and help you guys become better habitat managers, turn these parcels into something great. Um, It's just so cool. So fulfilling. It's fun. And we just really enjoy it. Uh, So again, thank you you guys for wrapping those up with us today. And uh, for those who are still on the docket, don't worry. We are getting to you next at the habitat podcast land plans. If you're interested in something like that, check us out. We're probably about booked up for the year, but we can start scheduling for next year at this point. Um, you know, we're getting busier and busier every year, so we want to make sure that we get to everybody and spend the quality amount of time per parcel, and not you know, not the opposite. So, thank you to our Habitat Podcast land plan clients. You guys are awesome, and uh, we're gonna make sure you're entered in the Packer Max giveaway too, uh, whether you sign up or not, just because. Now, I want to talk about vitalized seed company you guys have heard us talk about vitalized before all the pre-orders are out we're shipping orders nitro boost the spring mix is live shipping out every single day and um you know get ready spring will be here before we know it we want that ground temp to be 55 to 60 degrees and you're ready to get that nitro boost in the ground so if you haven't thought about it haven't heard of vitalized seed before check it out vitalized seed.com Very diverse, one of the most diverse mixes on the market that I've seen. Um, Very affordable, cost per pound per acre, do the math. Um, Not just full of grains, very diverse mix, high quality brand name seeds like Eagle Soybeans, Dixie Crimson Clover, things among that nature. Guys, the, the mix is high quality, affordable, very diverse. And I guess a, a little sidebar, highly attractive to whitetail. Um, kind of my favorite part of it. So check it out, VitalizeSeed.com. Orders are shipping now if you're interested. And uh, love to love to try to help build your soil, help increase diversity, reduce fertilizer costs over time, and you know just make your property better and and, and grow bigger deer. So check it out, VitalizeSeed.com. Like guys, last week I mentioned a brand new sponsor. I want to mention them again this week in case you missed it. Acres.co. So Acres is a brand new company. The website is Acres.co. It's a land mapping, intuitive, uh, informative software that I am now using as part of the land plan team and also my own history. So at this point, like today, i was on acres.co i googled my 15 acres on there if you will you type in your address up top pops it in right now i'm looking at my average soil score (laughs) i have five different types of soil on the 15 acres um i could have guessed probably three out of the five knowing what i knew before my average soil score is 39.9 out of a hundred yeah, that sounds about right for Michigan. Um, sounds about right for my soil. I have low pH, everything. So I've been working on that forever. We have five different soil types, it's all color-coded. It's pretty neat. That's one of the insights you can get at acres.co. Another one. I'm gonna the historical imagery. I can go back to let's see here. 13 years ago on my 15 acres and see what it looked like then compared to what it looks like now. Again, there's other websites that I've seen where you can get some of that. This is all handy. It's right here. I have all the names of the property owners all around me, the soil type, the historical imagery. What else do I have here? Flood. Kind of important if you're buying a new piece of property. Are you in a flood zone? Will your property flood? You know, A lot of the property that we see that's affordable these days is because it's low ground, low land. So This shows you flood insights as well. Crop history, elevation, county rent prices, county yield, vegetation index, and water. So very, and this is just a free version. This is not even the premium. So if you guys want to try it out, check it out. Acres.co, brand new partner of the podcast. Love to have you check it out. Tell them Habitat podcast sent you. Go ahead and sign up. All right, guys, Um, I want to thank all the guys leaving us reviews online. I mean, that's one of the number one reasons that people find Habitat Podcast is the Apple iTunes review that people leave every day. I'm going to read a new one for you here. We have some great ones. Let's see. We just did our Miscanthus episode last week. You haven't heard that yet. Check that out. The first one here, Julius Koenig. Thanks for an informative podcast, presenting the information in an easy to understand and implement format. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Julius. That's what we try to do That's who we are. Uh, appreciate that review. I will send you a free decal. We have R.R. R. Olson. Great show. Not too many podcasts focused on habitat management. I've learned quite a bit by listening to the show every week. Thanks and keep it up. Guys, these are five-star reviews that these folks probably took 30 seconds out of their life to go leave. And it helps us more than you can even know. So thank you to both you guys. I will send you both free 5-inch Habitat podcast details coming right up. All right, I want to thank the rest of our partners. I want to thank First Light, Endless Horizons Archery, Legendary Forest Products, Morse Nursery, Packer Max Cultipackers. Exodus Outdoor Gear. Vitalized Seed Company. United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties and Acres.co. Guys, welcome back to part two of the conversation with Jim Ward, Steve Taylor, and Ben Oliverio on our habitat property breakdown. Please leave us a review. Let us know what you think of this stuff. If you want to see more habitat property breakdowns, let us know. It was this was fun. Love to do it again soon. All right, let's get into it. Thanks again for listening to the Habitat Podcast.
3: <laughs>
2: That's super too much? intriguing, and I think you hit the nail on the head with with all that. I learned a ton right there. Um, your your access. So we talked about this being a, like an inside out property is what right. I call them. You hunt from the inside out. You um, you mentioned a couple of things when we were walking in the woods earlier about. Sometimes you let the deer show you exactly what they're doing, show you what they want after you cut, before you tell your client exactly how to access. Right? Because I was speculating. I'm like, all right, well, Jim, you're going to come down by this pond and pop in right here. Like, yeah, I think so. But I'm also going to let them right. see what the deer so, do first before I. So that
1: spot was a saddle coming yep. up there, and, and and it's a low spot in the terrain, and and for visual, it's it's what I always want to do, but. A lot of times deer are gonna use a saddle also, right? And so I do my best when I do stuff, but what I always wanna tell clients is get back out there and look and study the results off of this because sometimes I'm wrong and I don't know what they want on another property or what else is going on that I don't understand in a couple of days, but they will show you because what happened, like I said, there's higher deer numbers there than what most people would think and so now, we we didn't see a lot of visual trails where i was we've been working at the last day and a half but now they're going to get heavy because we've pinched them all down and they're going to show us quick exactly what they want and where i messed up and so i don't want to say hey this is the in route and then all of a sudden our big highway is cutting through there and they don't recognize that and they wait and then they're using that right so yeah I say put the box blind in there, and I left a few extra trees around that to cut to make sure we got plenty of screening cover for that. And then at that point, uh, I'm saying I'm saying like July, August, you get out there, you start paying a lot of attention, and we should see exactly what they're doing and avoid that to get in. Access is one of the hardest things anybody's got for sure, and and I've had a lot of guys that are. Big buck killers say you go a hundred yards into the woods, at least one deer knows you're there. You go two hundred yards in the woods, at least two deer know you're there, and you do that three days in a row, and all of them know you're there, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I used to always go to the very best spot and do the best I could and just stay there all day, right? Mm-hmm. And it worked for me, but everybody has different ideas and wants to hunt differently, and and so the quiet, no scent and not seen is the best and it's next to impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> That's why the better way they do, so they can watch us do um, all of that, right?
3: Pattern us, absolutely.
2: Exactly. Um, what do you, you, you started the old trails and everything that the deer are already doing too, right? You're not trying to force deer down different paths. You're really um, I, supplementing I, I, and kind of enhancing and working off of what they're already successfully doing, I think it's easier to do that than try to force them a
1: different way. That's 100%, and I've tried to force them, and tried to force them, and sometimes it works about 75%, Okay. but they keep doing what they want to do. Okay. The other 25% or more, and so, if that's what they want to do, it's way easier to get them to do that, you know? And so, unless it's killing you and you're hunting for some reason, um, I just want to go with what they want to do, and it, once you study that book, I mentioned mapping trophy whitetails the trails are always in the same location on those terrain features, and so that ought to tell you that that 's really really what they want right and if you can learn a person can learn to copy that even in areas where there 's low deer numbers, then you 're almost always right i 'm saying in areas where 're not showing the signs so well yeah. but Yeah, um, there's guys out there that say, oh, I can make them do this or make them do that. I can do that with barbed wire, right? I can do it for sure with barbed wire. I'll put those strands every six inches apart. I'll go seven foot up. I'll hinge cut and put a roof on top of that. They're not going through (laughs) it, right? But I don't want to go through all that, right? I want to copy what they want, give walls a cover that are not more than about 50 yards long, and... um, it, it seems to work really well. So yes, the more you can uh, just copy the direction uh, and the terrain feature that they're after, uh, uh, your success on, on harvesting especially goes way up. Hey,
2: have,
4: have you guys seen, oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was say, the one thing we've seen that Jim has done, we've enhanced I these I just trails, tried to ask you this. And, and then we've made these converging hubs. So you take, you know, there's there's two, three trails, we might enhance it and all of a sudden we've got four or five trails coming into one main area and then we make that one hub it's got everything they want and he talked a little bit about it earlier you got a licking branch you got a water hole. you know it's that center of attraction and that's where you set up your tree stand or you set up your box blind and now you've got all these trails and most of the trails they're already using you might manipulate and hinge a couple of trees and have them come around the corner to try to pinch them in closer to your stand sure but. That that's what we've seen work time and time and time again, and that's what he was doing today out there setting up those spots where all those trails come into one spot. They converge in front of the stand, and then you enhance it and you make it just have everything that they want right there.
1: He explained it so much better than what I did. <laughs> he had. did explain that it was well. perfect, Steve. You know, well, I've
4: so learned the, from you. We've been so doing it for years.
1: Every stand I put out or marked gets a hub situation, right? Because the biggest buck in the entire area that's using three, four, five, six properties, he knows where all these hubs are. And during the chase phase, he's going from one hub to the next. That's his goal. And there's not usually a trail going from this hub to this hub because there's no benefit in that most of the year. But anyways, that's what I've seen. And so that's when I make put out a stand. And the stand we're going to do tomorrow is going to be another hub. But there's going to be trails hopefully two trails that's gonna go from one stand to the next stand, right? Yeah. On I terrain bet. features yeah, do. Mm-hmm. to keep this here safe route for them to run that whole circle around that center pond ha- uh, house deal. And, and so I used to do just one travel corridor, but now I want a trail, a travel corridor, a trail, a travel corridor, And it, you know, and I mean wall, I mean wall, travel corridor, wall, and so what that is, it's edge, it's two edges, and I mean, and then two more edges, and two more edges, and that's internal, right? And it's just safety is what it is. Safety is the number one thing, but when it's safe and food, right? Um, But back to hubs where you have your doe families happen to interact, and then that's where you have your scrapes
3: and all your other uh information that they're leaving yeah let me talk a little bit about that though jim like my vision for that spot was different than your vision the first one we did it was different than jake's vision all of us habitat guys had a different vision for that spot okay this finger came out my initial uh vision when we got the property in november get in set up a stand here it's a point We're going to set up a stand. We're going to see a lot of deer. We're going to have good options. Overlooking the swamp. Overlooking the swamp, sure. Your vision for that spot was this is the best bedding spot for military crest, south-facing slope. So I want to, and in this spot we had the ridge that came out and then a swamp probably within 40 yards of that to where there was a natural pinch there. So my vision was, okay, let's enhance that pinch and put one trail through there. And we'll capitalize on it from this point. Right. Whereas your vision was this point is where the bucks are going to bed. I'm going to pinch off all those lower trails between here and the swamp. I'm going to direct them up on here under the higher ground to where you guys can capitalize on them as hunters. That was different than my vision, but when you vocalized it, it came to life. And it, it made so much sense. And that's where I think feeding off of each other is such an important part well, of in this industry. two
1: minds, three minds, always better, no doubt. And, and, and Jake having the plan out there that I could look at ahead of time, right, made a big difference. And, I, and he does a, an audio that I listen to also. Um, but the stand site that you guys had there is 90% of the time, that's the location that the people put it in. And, and so over and over, I'll say, where's your best stand site? And they'll take me to that spot, and I'll walk around, and there'll be beds there on the military crest. And I believe what it is is when they go in before dark, they bust those deer, hmm. and, and those deer come back, right? And so they sit there, and, and here 10, 10.30 or whatever, here those deer are coming back in there. They don't realize you're still there, right? And these guys are, I'm saying that's their most successful spots and with that swamp right there for the pinch most guys good hunters that's where they would have had that right but again what we're wanting to do is the hub and i'm wanting to be within 75 yards of where they're bedded and have plenty of screening covered there they can't see me get in there and that's actually how we ended up you know you know that's what it is yeah, it that's is. what the, the spot is tonight i mean it's that it's going to be it's going to be exciting yeah. right Sure is. It's a
2: good now, spot. Here's here's uh here's a little a little free thinking, creative part of this. So there, there's that pine thicket we mentioned, four or five acres. Right. I didn't get to walk through the middle of it. Um, I I to peek in there a couple of times. What do you guys think the, the use of that pine thicket is now? Um, on, on a scale of one to ten. It's it's uh, were those Norways, were those white pines, or were the
3: there's a variety
2: yeah, in there. Variety, I okay, the big ones are white pines. Right? I think the Crow. big ones are white pines. And how tall? I mean, how old are those trees? You think? They're they're big. They're, Forty they're, footers. Yeah. yeah, I walked I'm through sure. there. They're they're, they're twenty
1: five years old. You think? Yeah. Yeah, so imagine a,
2: a four or five acre um, thicket of, of those, or just a pine stand. Um, you know, value a one to ten, one being bad, ten being great. What do you value that as, Steve?
4: Well. I don't think that again we're just
2: speculating, yeah,
4: I don't think there's the deer are spending a ton of time in there. I think we saw some some travel corridors that they're they're getting they're using that as security cover to get from one spot to the to the next, sure. spot. so you can see some big rubs in there, uh, you can see big worn down trails um, but yeah, when you and I were walking through there, you said, hey, you know if this is isn't isn't really being used for much, what would you think about is there any timber value you know, and I don't know if the white pine's worth any money or not, but would you go in there and clear that out and try to get some regen going or, you know, try to do something else with it to try to get the deer to spend more time in there. So yeah, it, it that's a good, that's a good thought. You know, and I'd be interested to hear what, what Jim and Ben think. Cause I don't think the deer are spending a lot of time in there. I think they're moving through it, but yeah. I don't know. These guys might think different. Okay. What do you think, Ben? I think conifers hold value on property.
3: They give thermal cover. They're, they're important to have. But a big stand of big conifers like this. Look at the wind and ice storm we just had in Michigan. You know, you have all these branches coming down. They stripped a lot of the limbs off these white pines that we have out there. If I'm a deer, I'm not laying under that. Okay. So you you really have to revisit revisit that and ask yourself what value does that have to my property when they get that mature? Yep. I don't think at that point in their life that they they add much value to our habitat plan whereas they would if they were 20 feet or 15 mm-hmm. feet, or, you know, like, yeah. does that make sense to you? So, so what's your like,
2: score? What'd you guess? If you had a score at one to 10? Oh geez, like a four. Ben? I'll put it at five. Okay, uh, Jim, what's your thought? So I've been in a
1: lot of evergreen thickets, right? And a lot of biologists have recommended a lot of evergreen thickets as a wildlife habitat years ago and a lot of those are at this stage now and in sand they really recommended them because pine will grow in sand most places I'm at in the Midwest they're worth nothing when they logged my property at a 16 inch breast height they left all the big white pines that were I'm saying 24 26 inch white pines They paid for them and left them, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There wasn't that many, but there was no market for them. So, you know, I don't see much market in them, or value in them, as far as timbering them anywhere, southern United States, they're all set up for it. Uh, So, and I don't see much wildlife in them ever. Um, I've seen evergreen stands in Wisconsin, Buffalo County that are jack pine, white pine, red pine, a variety of all these here, you know, trying to get some diversity in there and that's still not do it. Um, So I think they're screening cover and at this stage they're really not. But just like I was talking um, down here and I built a wall and then an open area as a corridor and then a wall, that's what I envisioned. Now aesthetics is another thing, right? But if you can make it thick on both sides of them pines and have the center open, our big, our big rubs, old and new, were going through the center of that pine thicket, right? Oh, yes. and, it, and we followed it around the property and come through there and it's coming back across the pond dam. And so to take those out we're we're looking at four years to get that cover back in there basically for him to feel safe using that part of that corridor yeah. and yeah. so I would prefer a lot of times on the outside of a pine stand they still have the limbs the live limbs down low right and I can take and cut above those live limbs knock the top out of that pine now there's been some habitat guys see that I do that and they think I'm trying to keep that pine tree alive what I'm trying to do is keep the bottom limbs alive, right? And same thing on a cedar tree. I want to keep the bottom stuff that's in the deer's eyes alive, cut it above their eyes, and get sun in behind yep. that, right? So that I can start getting something to grow in that pine thicket. And there's stuff in there. There's seed in there. A lot of times elderberry, different things that grow in them. But So, yeah, I'd like to have a feathered edge basically on both sides of that as long as they don't look too bad or plant something. Your giant methantas along there or a shrub. Really for wildlife, shrubs are way better than trees sure, for, yes. because of the structure of them, right? This property's got some autumn olive around it in different places. You can actually cut that autumn olive off. Yank the root system out of the ground, take it over, stick that root system with a little bit of dirt on it. It's going to grow faster than anything else. And you're just transplanting. You're not... You're not putting it on the property. It was already there, right? I'm not trying to tell you to spread invasives, but I'm telling you. I hear
4: the comments. I hear yep. the comments coming yeah, out yeah, right? You brought uh, a bottom olive and mosquitoes uh-huh. in the same sentence. Yeah. Uh-oh. This, that's one way to get hey. people to start talking. Jared's going to be canceled here in a yeah, second. Maybe you will, pay. Jim. Native is great.
1: That's the government brought all that stuff yep, out yep, and paid yep, people years yep. ago because they understand that the wildlife... But we quit... We quit going to the woods. All the small hobby farms are gone. We quit putting cows in the woods. We, you know, there ain't no small farms. So nobody's out there paying attention to what the invasives are doing now, right? That's what happened. They get a jump on them, and then they're like, oh, I'm behind the game. I, I'm just going to forget yeah. this. Now the whole timber's gone to it, you yeah. know? But Anyways. You talked about a couple.
2: Well, hold on. That. I got guys this grade. You're great on that timber right now. We we're on that, oh, on that, on that pine thicket. Oh, no, time. I mean, it's next to
1: worthless, right? Okay, so that's
2: kind of where, I mean, where you, my thought was coming from. Is, I'm saying it's, it's four or five, you
1: can run a fire through it, right? And you can cut a little bit along the edge. The inside of it is completely worthless. It's it's just stem standing there. Uh, there you are.
2: So is there is there a more value in something else than what that timber is standing there doing right now?
3: Right? <laughs> As habitat guys, we got to look at it like this. 80 acres. The biggest and the best rubs we saw on that property were there. Why? Okay, like, do we take out that pine thicket
2: now, Maybe even not though that? But I would open it up for sure. Even though that's it. where
3: the biggest bucks have been.
2: Who knows when they were in there? You know? It could be at night. I would,
1: I would make a wall cover on it somehow, right? And you don't have to take the whole thing down, but again, if you took it all down, what would you have in the aesthetics yeah. as you drive in? Yeah, that's nice right? to look at. It's yeah. nice to look right. at, and right. it's, it's not that many acres, really, right? I mean, total, is its is it four acres yeah, or so? maybe. Like that. I think it's four. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, that, that was a guess on my part. But always, when I'm making walls of cover, I want an open area next to it, because if you don't, all you got's a big thicket, and then right. bucks and velvet don't... Does love it still, so yeah, yeah. you can still do something like that at right. that spot. Right.
4: We were talking about giant miscanthus. I, you know, uh, I planted a bunch of that on my original farm years ago, and actually, Chad Thalen came out and did that when he was doing some habitat stuff before he got into real estate, and he did a great job. You know, that's a that's a very labor intensive deal, um, and we put a ton of miscanthus for screening cover. You've seen it around here, and everybody's talking about how this stuff is invasive and it spreads or whatnot, I mean, we, we talk about having a habitat day out here, people can see what miscanthus looks like after it's been standing for 10 or 12 years. It gets a little wider, but it's not an invasive species in, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and it does, it grows, I mean, it's thick, it's great, it's a wall of cover in the in the open to provide screening. It it blocks, you know, for, for access, but it blocks so the deer can't see. I mean, it's it's done a great job out here and it hasn't spread and taken it off. Like people are talking about it and we've had, I mean, it's been 12 years. I think I've You're been managing like a podcast that's coming out soon. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah.
3: I've been managing this farm for 10 years. I've seen the Miscanthus where it's at. It's never spread. It's colonized. It's gotten thicker, right? And we dig out of it and we transplant it, and we move it to other spots, but it doesn't move on its own. It has not moved. It's
1: one of the narrowest walls of cover you can have that you can't see through and stands up all winter long yeah. and all no year. no maintenance. Right. No maintenance. Does what you want it to do. The deer will walk around the end of it instead of walking through it either. For sure. I, I don't see a negative. It makes a whole lot of organic material. Yeah. I mean
2: they're even turning it, I think they're turning it into um, some fuel. Oh like yeah, biofuel. Bio bio bio. bio. so well, they got it in, in Iowa that way, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You, they got 10-acre fields there in Iowa. Mm, you really can talk high. about looking at that, right?
2: Wow. Yours <laughs> <laughs> wow. that you guys planted and that you guys managed and Chad planted and my, and my buddy uh, in Mississippi that I went down there on his farm, um, you guys have the best Miscanthus, you two. Oh yeah? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, you, those two farms. It's good, we love it. It's in, yeah. And it's crazy how it's pretty would, healthy. If you add nitrogen, goes crazy. It takes so. some work
4: to transplant it. We dig it up, you know, we bring it in, we lift it up, you know, with the bucket and then we, we move it. But it, it's unbelievable how well it's done when we've moved it to other spots. And we, we use it as screening cover. We'll put it around, you know, blinds or we'll put it as, you know, access spots to get into a stand or a blind. I've seen it. I've yeah. hunted next to it. Yeah, I was going you hunted out here. Yeah, yeah. It looks awesome. Like that
2: one blind on the way down the hill yep. that's cut right into it right there. Mm-hmm. It's, that's how you're supposed to do it, I think, yeah. right there.
3: Yep. Yep. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Like like you're saying cut into it, you know, the miscanthus comes up and it's 10 or 12 feet. Now we put a platform behind it. We put a soft side blind on top of that platform and we cut the miscanthus at the bottom of the windows. It's awesome. So we have camouflage to the bottom of our windows. It works out perfectly. Yeah. We take the parts we cut and we can, you know, now put them into our blind and, and brush our blind in and mm-hmm. it works out really well. It's been, it's been a yep. great asset to this farm too.
2: Heck yeah. Well getting towards the, the tips section here, a couple things I learned today I want Jim to and you guys to dive into. Um I saw a lot of you know, am not a lot today, but I'm carrying around a paint can. Yes. Yeah, you know, so when do you, you start doing that? Do you guys carry around paint cans in the woods?
4: I don't. Ben's got Ben's flagging tape. Yeah, Ben's we got yeah, we have okay. Flagging tape. Okay. Yep. A yeah, flagging I've
2: tape. used tape. Yep.
1: So off and on over the years, um, I've used tape, and I've used paint in the past, and um, and what I've realized is, one, you, if you can see it at a distance, especially when you're making a shooting lane or anything along those lines, it's very, very helpful for the habitat guy. And then you don't make mistakes on where you're dropping the trees and have to clean up all this big old mess, and so, and then, especially when I'm doing walls of cover, and I can walk I can see how i 'm going to drop this big tree and it 's going to hit that one, and so I can go out and spray paint this one and nice. and and walk back and forth, well it 's going to hit that and this, and mark all those before I cut them and study them right um, and i don 't do that as much as I used to just because i 've got better at it but um the paint just stands out so well and all this is it's just down paint you know i mean that they use that at a baseball field or whatever so it's cheap it's not the tree paint the tree paint's gonna last that the loggers use gonna last probably six years in the timber this is gonna last maybe two, Oh, no nice. uh, probably not even that i really don't like to see orange paint sprayed all through the timber so most time i just do a dot but but yeah um it's best to run through, mark everything out, because by one or two o'clock, you're tired enough, right, that uh, the paint really makes a big difference on, on how um, you're still productive and in, in being uh, exact on what you're doing, so.
3: And I think as a landowner, you know, you, you come out in December and your property looks different than it's going to in July, obviously, because of green up and everything else. Now, if you could put a paint mark on there, uh, this is the way it looked for my deer stand in November or December. This is the way this is the way I want to make manicure this. Well, a lot of landowners don 't come back to their property till not summer ever, and the weather's sure. nice and it looks completely different and Now your plan's not going to do the same thing it would had you taken the time to go out there and, and mark those trees
1: Oh for sure if you're and you should do habitat whenever you can because everybody 's schedule is crazy the, this time of the year march it's the best time to do hinge cut but i hinge cut in august and if it's dry and hot i might lose 10 to 15 percent more of the hinge cuts but the fact is you still are getting it accomplished and if you have. This stuff painted when there's no leaves on the trees and you go back out there when the leaves are on the trees and you can only see 20 yards through the timber, but you can still see those paint marks as you go. Your plan still works. I agree. And it's very effective to do that. Majority of the people that had me out in the past to walk a property want to do it with no leaves on. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it is yeah, twice to yeah. three times more productive. Yes, you know?
2: Yeah. And
1: we don't really do any walks after... It makes May. it tough, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't see the sign.
2: Yeah. And what I like, you mentioned something like starting on the high ground. like When I, when I got here and you guys were in the woods wrapping up and, and you had the, where the blind was going to be sprayed, that orange, where we could see that orange mark from everywhere we walked based on where I was on the high ground. Um, it was super helpful. I thought that was a, a very helpful tip. But that I, one thing I also meant
1: about starting on the high ground, um, when I start cutting, When you're standing on the high ground, you can see how the trees are leaning better. And trees want to fall downhill naturally. If you're down at the bottom of the hill and you're looking up the hill, it's twice as hard to know what you want to do. Um, So, yeah, I get up to the top, and you can see how that thing's leaning. And it's almost always going to be leaning downhill for you. And so then you don't have to pound as many wedges. And I can get them where i want
3: wanting it to go easier, the whole nine yards. Jared, um, you talked about an important part right there. Um, when we got to that property, your first objective was to identify stand locations and then shooting lanes from those stand locations. And our entire design that we did was around those things. You put that orange mark that Jared referenced, eight feet up in the tree. So we could see it. This is where the blind is going. We could see it from everywhere. And the entire plan we laid out was around the tree stand tree or the blind location. Instead of just going in and and laying out this plan and then going, Oh no, the tree's not in the right spot. We don't have a spot here. Like I really, really found a lot of value in you doing that. Your, your stand location and your shooting lanes first. Well, and so, I didn't mention the shooting lane thing, and that's a huge deal that yeah. nobody
1: takes into consideration, right? <laughs> um, if I would have just built the bedding and not put the shooting lanes in the very first thing, the shooting lanes would have been half as long and maybe even way narrower than what they are. And so, it's critical. I try to cut the whole entire cover area in half with my shooting lane and that's what we've done with the first shooting lane. We can shoot from the back property line all the way to the pond on, the, on our left or the west side of the blind and on the right side we can shoot all the way to the swamp and so we're saying 125 yards and 100 yards through the timber and if we're bow hunting there's still great observation lanes. It's telling us what's going on, and we would have never been able to see those areas. And a lot of people don't take into account how important observation is when you're out there. Uh, Some of the best hunters, they, they do observation stands the first night, see what's going on. Then they'll go hang a stand exactly where they need to where they're not digging in deep right off the bat. But anyways... That could be a situation here being that box blind for gun. We got the hub right in front of us. You see something a little bit off, then you adjust with a, with a hang on with some sticks or a saddle or whatever, but you're active, you move to that activity. I mean, we can see a lot of ground up there. I mean, yeah. we're we're overlooking four acres basically and almost all of it's downhill from us and we're seeing over top those hinge because they're feeling safe in there because the cover's above their eyes but we're able to look down into that
3: and man it's gonna be an exciting day of hunting there it really is and that's one thing steve had said to you when you came out is is i want to have the stand sites and build everything around those and i want to have quality high quality spots high percentage spots with easy access entrance and exits so that i can hunt these blinds multiple times without Mm -hmm. applying pressure to this deer herd
4: and i think that's exactly well that's just more sometimes yeah yeah. Yeah, fewer fewer stands what we said hey we just in that one that one area i think the initial plan called for three four stands back there and we settled on one Mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think yeah it's gonna it's gonna and because the right
1: amount of cutting we can see that whole area or majority of that area mm-hmm. or the trails are at least coming right up there at 15 yards from us 20 yards
4: so right i wondered how long it'd taken this podcast for somebody to talk about a saddle what's the shirt <laughs> you just saw
2: what to say saddles <laughs> are saddles are for horses saddles are yeah yeah, yeah. sorry sorry, right i'm still gonna saddle hunt but yeah it's, it was a funny shirt
4: that's was, a good one i yep. thought i should wear that
2: i uh yeah, I, I I was wondering on on that spot where you're you're putting the blinds on the high points. Um, you're not quite you're not quite on the knob that you're that you're that the deer would use. You're backing off that knob because when we first sat down and I saw Jake's plan or, or the plans that were made, I was like, well, I wonder why the cuts are a little bit higher on that knob. Like I'm here today, they're higher on that knob, right? So, but you're back to stand side off more as well because given that that knob that crest that. So, shelf to the deer right so right there. that stand site
1: is right at the end of that point yep. and there was already a natural logging road or trail right there that the deer were using and so it ended up being a natural hub there okay, that it. we could add to but the main reason that stand was there we were out on that point and i said hey up there by that up there by that log up in there is where it needs to be and what i what i'm Wanting is seventy-five yards away from the best bed spot. There you 75 go. Seventy-five to a hundred, but more seventy-five. If I can get the screening cover there, that I can get to that spot, the success rate just explodes when you can get that close, right? And you can't get that close unless you got the screening cover to do it. And then we're going to have a quiet trail going there, and we're going to hinge a little bit more along that quiet trail going there, right? Um, But, yes, that's what I've seen, guys, over the years. So most of the hunting industry is food plot oriented, right? They want to hunt as close to food plots as they can. And and for years, everybody understood if you hunt, travel from bed to food is a great way to do it. But a lot of people don't understand your pinch point in my opinion is that spot and and that's what we're developing there with the five trails coming together and it's a it's an edge in front and then what we've done and you might not noticed it um on the blind side or or the or the lake or the house side we've cut that stuff real low and 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 hinged it real low and what's going to happen is that's all going to sprout up thick and we got our sun in by doing that but it's not going to look bad from the house. It's not going to be as oh, negative looking from the house, but we'll still get our son into that travel corridor there. And, and all that in two to three years will be thick and up to where they're going to feel more safe along there. But um, they're going to associate to that big wall cover that we got all the way along there. And that's what a lot of times what I'll see mature bucks do when they're walking through a timber. They're associated with an edge where a power line, gas line, some type of an edge where it's thicker and thin, and and that's what that outside edge where the blind is. So I know I I I talk a little bit more than what I need to, but yes, it's the hub 75 yards back off the point, but we got plenty of screening cover to get into that stand, and we're actually higher than it looking into it. And so that bed, it, it, it's a delicate that ridge, That ridge goes out and it, it, it drops down into a little bit of a saddle and then it, it pops back up on a, on a mound. And so we're almost actually the same level as
3: that. Um, and so, yeah. You, you look at it though, you know, and, and my initial reaction, and what Jim said is 90 95% of the hunter's reaction, is to go out to that spot. Here's a good pinch point right here to hunt that spot. Well, now you bring in somebody like Jim who has a different perspective and looks at things differently, and it adds so much value. You know, um, was my spot a high-percentage spot? Yeah, I think in the right-seeking phase, they would have pinched down through that spot. But does Jim's spot offer more opportunity? It absolutely does. It's going to be that deer parade all day long because you have – a converging hub. You have five trails coming together, whereas mine might have been and that
2: pinch that you set up originally on, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, right.
3: Absolutely. I I There's a saying. lot of it's added
2: value hunting in those that.
1: same
3: deer plus more, yeah. right?
2: And but you backed off as far. yeah Right. No, right.
1: You right. backed
3: off it a little bit. Gave us a better entry and exit, and that's something I didn't initially those, see. Those and stands Steve like didn't that at, initially when, see. when you have one that good, you can hunt it day after day.
1: And and Wenzel Brothers. Uh, Barry Jean said this a long time ago. When they hunt, they're aggressive. They want to hunt close to bedding. They want to hunt three to four days on a property and then get out. Well, when you're in that situation right there, it's an easy in and out. You almost It's tougher to get caught. But then you're right there in the heart of the action, right? And so the longer you sit there, if you don't get caught, the, your odds just keep going up, sure. right? Yeah. Sure. And, and that's the benefit of the box, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. To where we can be sealed up room. in there, not get yeah. seen as much, right. and be more comfortable for more
3: of a long-term. All sit. day. Yeah. This isn't our food plot sit where it's good in the evening. Right, this right, is right. our, they're in their bedding area. They're, well, they're getting up from chewing their cud, and they're, yeah. they're going oh, 10 they yards over here, they're hitting this licking branch, they're going to this water tub, yeah. but either way they're coming through our hub. All right. So hey, the one man. thing,
4: you know, <clears throat> I know enough to know that there's guys that know a lot more than me, and Ben and Jim are two guys that have killed a lot more big bucks than I have, and over the last 10 years I've learned a lot from them. And I told you while we were walking, Ben's done a good job of reining me back. Because I think there, you know, as a novice hunter or a, a newer hunter, you want to get back in there, like you're saying, you want to push back in, and you know, we looked at that one spot, that no-brainer pinch. I said, hey, even I could figure out this one. This just is a no-brainer; it makes sense. And we talked about staying back, you know, putting a blind up on top of that pond yes. dam and not going out to that big cottonwood. And you yep. said, well, why wouldn't you go there? And number one thing, and you said the same thing at Jim and Ben did. You got to cross the trail. Yep. And I think so many newer hunters, younger hunters, you know, novice hunters and I'm putting myself in that category, you know, years ago, we just would go in there. We'd go we'd You'd find a sign, we'd cross the trail, we'd set up, you know, put our hang-on stand on that big tree because there was all the surrounding, you know, trails going in there. But after you do that a time or two, you're you're killing that spot. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is find these spots, set them up and be able to hunt them consistently and stay yeah. back a little bit. And Ben and I sometimes will look at it and I'll say, well, Ben, you can't kill big deer on the edges in Michigan. You know, everybody says, you know, you might, I might work in Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, you know, you, but in Michigan it's hard. But then every now and then, you know, he proves me wrong and we kill one of these big bucks on an edge, you know, and we stay back, we stay back and we let the deer come to us. And I think that's a lot of what we've done is we set up these spots where we, we have the converging hubs, we have everything the deer want and they're coming out and they're coming to us. And instead of us going in there and, and burgering them out and messing it up, you know, and it, it's hunting differently. And I think we're not sitting on the edge.
1: It. We're still getting back in. Yep. We're not sitting way out. Right. That 75 yards, you know, if you're 300 yards from where they're bedded, yep. now that's a problem, right? But if you can be that 75 to 100 yards from where they're
3: bedded, man, success rate. You told us years ago how many hunters, even in Michigan, like push back three quarters of the way through their property at five in the morning, six in the morning, it's a natural break, thing breaking twigs, pushing I've all those deer years, pa- years, through I mean. their property. Those deer are now completely gone off their property yeah. to the neighbor's property. And when the sun comes up your neighbor shoots, yeah. you, you know, like, you're hoping you're gonna have enough energy to sit there long enough for
1: them to come back home. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> when they're coming back, they're looking <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. They're like oh, yeah. and, and you're like, yeah. Man, I'm wore out. I hope they come back before long. Well, Michigan
2: <laughs> box the next county at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. The
3: <laughs> ideal setup is like what we have on this eighty. Whereas your your core sanctuary, if you want to call it, or safe zone is in the middle of the property. Yeah. And we have Various wind directions that hunt the ex- sure entire is. exterior of that that core area yeah. it's ideal
2: boys that's I got one more quick fun thing for us, but that's that's the meat and potatoes right there <laughs> yeah it's good stuff. that was that was excellent you guys do we miss anything you
4: know I will say there's one thing that <laughs> I, I could think, talk for days <laughs> uh, yeah say, we just keep going we could keep I, going, but it's it, still going the uh <laughs> so Watching Jim come in and hinge cut when he first did, you know, obviously we were in awe, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, watching this man run this chainsaw and knock these trees down. And, you know, there's always, there's always touch up work. And so there's always work after he leaves or he'll leave you with a plan. Like, Hey, you could keep going here and here and here. And so we'd have work weekends and you know, that's, that's really the reason I hunt is it's the camaraderie. It's coming back to camp. You know, I love sharing my, my cabin with guys, you know, it's, and, and we all do this work weekend together. Yeah, we want to shoot big deer, but it's the camaraderie. And so a lot of guys are like, yeah, let's get together. We'll get out in the woods, you know, have some fun. We'll do some cutting. We'll set up stands. But the one thing, um, that I know firsthand is how dangerous cutting these trees is and what Jim does you know he goes at it and he's been knocked around and hit you know I've seen him come to the house with stitches and busted up face and stuff and broken ribs well I know firsthand; I got a hole put in my face from hinge cutting and so anybody that's out there listening you know if you're getting at it and you're gonna start you know cutting these trees you gotta do a little bit of uh, research you gotta there's guys out there that tell you how to do it the right way and tell, tell you how to do it the safe way but I mean barber chairs is the real deal you know, and, 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 a lot of these trees and Jim knows yeah. enough that he can look at a tree and say, Hey, this tree, when you cut it, it's going to barber chair back on you. And so he knows, you know what to do, but yeah. there's some new guys, you know, that are out there that might be listening that say, Hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do some hinge cutting, make sure you got the right protection. Amen. You know what I mean? There's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of things you can do to, to protect yourself, but, um, it's, it's dangerous, you know, and, uh, and we're doing this to shoot some deer. You know so at the end of the day yeah you don't want to Thanks go out there that, yeah, yeah. yeah you know because you don't want to go out there and put yourself at risk no. to shoot a deer it's the same thing you know with like lifelines geez i just heard about a story of a guy that went up and you know fell down and uh didn't have a lifeline it was old stand and the, the strap broke on him and geez the guy's lucky to be here you know so we're doing all this stuff for fun and it's you know it's about deer camp it's about you know being with the fellas it's about trying to shoot big bucks but at the end of the day we got to be safe and so Amen. you know lifelines are such a, you know such an important thing on every stand you're doing uh making sure you got the right proper equipment and that you chaps, know what you're doing helmet. yeah helmet chaps you know eye protection but really understanding what these trees are going to do and jim jim can look at a tree and he knows which way it's going to go um don't try fighting it right you know and then at the end of the day don't you know if it's if it's too big a tree or it scares you back off yeah that's That'll, a great tip if you don't, <laughs> if you don't have the knowledge for yeah. sure
1: and you feel antsy about it yep. hey there's a reason right i thought he's telling point, yeah. you something good
3: point yeah you, you know i believe ones. though jim even trees that you know what they're going to do they do something different than what you thought oh, they were hey, going to do is like dangerous there's no yeah. doubt right there is definitely aspects of this that you have to take it and when you're relation. hinging
1: those big ones you know i mean you've seen some of those 22 24 inch trees i hinge those hickory yeah that was awesome but that's not for a beginner at right. all right yeah, exactly just yeah. no Start on the small stuff, mm-hmm. and have it tim- your property timbered first. Yep. If that's you know, that's probably one of the best yep. things you can do. And then start on the small stuff and get some experience at it. And yep.
3: And just keep moving forward. Yeah. I, think with, I think what Steve you're comfortable with. You're going to get
1: bruises. <laughs>
3: yeah. wearing, wearing chaps, protecting yeah. your femoral artery, going yeah. home to your family, wearing yeah. a hard hat and, and safety glasses. Have somebody around. Oh, I, let I your loved ones hanger. know. I
2: took a hanger to the head. Did you really? I had a helmet on. Yeah. 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 took a hanger. Yeah, yeah. I I let your wife
3: know chair. where you're at, and, and you're yeah. cutting, you're using a chainsaw, and you'll... You know, it's important to do. Yeah, I got stitches to the face from a
1: barber chair. So that's that's two of us, uh, Jim. No, yeah, I've had it twice in the face.
4: All right, so yeah, we're just we're just four guys sitting here, right? You know the way we started doing it. Really, I should say the way I started doing it after watching these guys with the chainsaw was with a silky handsaw. Oh yeah. You know those silky handsaws. Man, those things can make sure cut. Cut you don't cut yourself. We were talking about that yesterday.
1: <laughs> Everybody <laughs> I hand them to,
4: they cut their Man,
1: left hand with it, yeah, right? They'll, yes, they'll cut them. and
2: just yep. go
1: Well, and it'll and jump and it'll come across
4: that hitch. Oh, and it
3: nice. cut you quick.
4: Yeah. But you can yeah. start with a handsaw and yeah. you can you can hinge cut Do a some lot with pretty it. good size trees you know it takes a little bit more effort but uh yeah you you can knock down some of these trees and then you get a little more comfortable and you see how well they, the they edges fall. are
1: the best place where yep. they're all leaning out already yeah, and you just go along and, and yep. using the smaller stuff that's you your around your food plots and around your access that small stuff is, is the place for people to begin
2: what, what you said is, is what we always recommend in every one of our plans is get the loggers in there first with a forester. Let them do the heavy lifting, the dangerous stuff, mm-hmm. the time-consuming stuff. that You don't even want to do. that big stuff in your way anyway. No, no. You and if I had to go do that, I'd be risking my life, yeah. a ton of time, it wouldn't would. get any value out of it, wouldn't be following a plan most likely. And you wouldn't
1: be making money for the
2: exactly. rest of your habitat.
3: Yeah. Exactly.
2: And then come in there with that little thing you had today, bend the little one-handed steel thing, <laughs> zzz, zzz. Yeah, electric. You, know, you can start out with something small like that or, or a little chainsaw mm-hmm. on the more manageable junk trees. Well, you know, I, I didn't know anything about time. cutting
1: trees when I started, right? Okay. And just got started, and again, just keep picking up information.
2: I heard that this weekend I was down in Ohio and my buddy or the guy I met down there cuts a lot of trees. He's like, one thing I just always do if I get a bad feeling about it, I don't cut it. Yep. If I don't think yeah. I can cut it, I don't cut it. Mm-hmm. He said that like four times. You just said the same thing. Yeah. So maybe that's a good good tip.
3: It's something else I've seen Jim do is if he gets in a hairy situation, which he does and other people do <laughs> and it happens, back off and think about it for a second yeah, right. and really like take a second, take your helmet off, look at things, look at the trees and yeah. where it's hung up. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah.
1: Pull Absolutely. out your wedges. Great advice. <laughs> yeah. Look at here. your dead hanging. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what, yeah. Especially I,
1: when you had a storm just row through a couple of weeks ago. There's oh, all geez. kinds of limbs hanging, right? Yeah. I but thought
2: about just, that when we were walking. I'm like, the limb hanging is it? the most <laughs> deadly
1: thing going, yeah. right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. yep. Guys, that was that was awesome. I have something we started doing since I recorded with you last, Jim, on episode 200. Uh, we did this rapid fire thing at the end. It's kind of corny, but it's kind of fun. So I'm going to give you guys like two seconds to answer each one of these questions. We've got three of us. we could be here all night. So... <laughs> We'll start, we'll start with Jim and we'll go to Steve on each one of these. Jim, favorite beverage?
1: Budweiser. All no. right.
2: Yep. Ben? Water. Okay. Bud Light. Okay. Uh, favorite venison recipe?
1: Oh, man. Tenderloin, backstrap of Maine, rode in olive oil with a little
3: salt on it and garlic pepper. Mmm. Backstraps, jalapeno poppers with some jalapeno and some uh, cream cheese in there wrapped in bacon and onion. Oh.
4: Way to my heart. Yeah, we do. Uh, we love the backstraps uh, on the grill, but little mushroom and onion and you got to take them off when they're rare. Yeah. yeah. I, rare. I
2: agree. All I'll right, switch it we'll go this direction now. Um, fixed plate or mechanical broadheads? Fixed.
0: Mechanical. Fixed.
2: Um, what do you like the most, preset stands,
4: blinds, or going mobile? uh definitely not mobile uh preset stands
3: mobile
1: preset
2: okay if you could only have one on your farms food water or cover
4: it's a tough one. it's impossible i've heard but, you, you know ask, ask this question a lot yeah. Um, i love hunting in late season i love the snow on the ground and cold whether it's archery or muzzleloader or whatever it is and and i think food is a big draw for that late season yep So I love that. If I could only hunt one time of the year, it'd probably be that because I've had such so much success with it. But I know you got to have cover. To have big deer, you got to have cover.
2: I think you got kind of an exception answer there, but I'll take it.
3: (laughs) Cover. It's cover.
2: Okay. Um, One's a favorite habitat, tool, or implement, machine, anything you got. What do you like the best?
4: Well I don't if I if I don't say chainsaw you know, Jim's listening. gonna take me outside and roll around the bushes. I should probably switch but, that question because that's probably what everyone answers But you, you know, uh, yeah, I mean Okay, besides a chainsaw, Jim um, you can't use chainsaw. You know, that doctor walk behind mower oh, good. has good. been a uh, game changer for opening trails, getting into certain areas. I mean that uh, you know, obviously a forestry mulcher is awesome, but for a lot less money you can get a walk behind and, and make a lot of headway in your property. Great point. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tap on what you said earlier about that
3: silky, <clears throat> like yep. I love a good handsaw and nice. there are so many inferior handsaws out there, but a silky or a high quality handsaw goes a long way on a property. Just walking through, looking at trails, keeping trails open. It's a valuable piece of equipment.
2: Great answer.
1: So the chainsaw is the cheapest thing, but the, uh, backpack leaf blower with a tank on top, uh, For herbicide? Yeah, a yeah. okay. fogger. Yeah, um, I use it for herbicide and for fertilizer, liquid ah. fertilizer and liquid calcium. And I've got a system Goodness. where I can strap it on my four wheeler now, and and I can put four acres of chemical on the front rack and take off at three miles an hour and do that in an hour, three to four acres of whatever I'm killing or or fertilizing. And so, and I can use muddy water out of the ditch, and so it's like a game changer for me, right? Sure. Uh, you're removing invasives, it's the number one thing, um, but the guy I bought my chainsaws off of, he was using it for his um, chestnut trees, because they get a worm in them, and it eats from the inside out, and um, so he has to spray them every year, and uh, ends up being, he said, you should try this, and so he loaned it to me, and I put Roundup in it the first time, I could do 3 quarters of an acre uh, with it on my back in about 15 minutes and I thought wow. Right? <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. That I know it's a long conversation, but yes, the fogger go. is the answer okay. um, for most guys that don't have equipment, but then you go to a no-till drill if you want the next level of equipment. <laughs> sure. so. You know,
3: something you told us about that early on, and I'm sorry, Jared, but I just got to talk about that. Like a, that
2: that was a rapid fire. I got one more, but that's rapid fire.
3: All right, right on that blower. That it blows the leaves over. So yeah. you're applying herbicide to the back on the side, bottom. the soft side yeah. of the leaves. Same thing with same thing with the fertilizer, to the chemical, boat. A superior kill. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yep. We bought one right away, and yep. it's it's been a good piece of equipment.
2: Now, favorite tree, last one.
4: We planted a lot of Norway spruce around here and man, it is unbelievable what they've done as far as cover, uh, screening. Just, it exploded. I mean, they're they're huge. You know, we started with three, four footers, maybe some five footers in there, but, you know, planted them around the driveway and transplanted a lot. We've moved some in front of blinds, but Norway spruce, I think that's a pretty good tree. If I'm putting up, though, looking to hunt out of something, I want to be in a big, old, giant, gnarly oak.
1: There right. yeah.
4: Ben?
3: Oh, buddy. <laughs> like. I've got a lot. I've got bushes like Bayberry, Uh, Morris Nursery is Charlie Morris or or Frank over there, people to talk to about this. Like They have bushes and shrubs just for wildlife. They really know what they're talking about. Um, My favorite, I think, would be an apple tree. You cannot beat apples for deer. You just can't. Love
2: it. And Jim, I think we already asked you this on 200. I don't remember what your answer. It's a white oak. Yeah, that's that's the most popular answer. right, what's your second favorite? If you, um, if you pick wide so,
1: I got so many, right? The apple tree, obviously, is something yeah, special. But the American Elm, um, it's the best hinge-cut tree. It's a morel mushroom tree. Um, the deer eat on the on the browse. Top of the line, I mean, almost... The, it's right there at the very top. It can grow in the shade. Uh, there's so many benefits to the Elm. I use it as my... My first tree I put down and lay stuff on top of it. Uh, so yeah, there we are. Yeah, I love the white oak for the value, the attraction,
2: <laughs> cover of uh, the leaves.
1: Yeah, Every. white oak. Uh, you know, when you get it in a in a prairie situation where you have
2: oak savanna.
1: Oak savanna. Uh, there's nothing Maybe. better for all wildlife. And uh, and this isn't oak savanna. We didn't cut it that hard in there, but. Uh, you know that's what we're going to get we're going to get big limmy oaks in there now they're going to spread out and we're going to get acorn production so yeah
2: guys I just want to say that is going to go down as a great podcast or two depending on if we make <laughs> two episodes that was awesome thank you so much for allowing me to come down and cheers to you all yeah thank you so thank much man. You thanks, man. thanks for having it. us Absolutely. on
1: yep.
2: we gotta hear about how to find you guys if anybody wants to find you guys, well, let's just, hear about Jim, we heard about how to find you on 200, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. Ben, how do we find
3: you? Uh, you can find me at my phone number, 734 564 7985 Michigan Food Plot Services, um, on Facebook or Instagram, Instagram at foodplotguru.com. Nice.
4: Steve, how you about can't, you? You can't find me. I'm sitting in a tree stand <laughs> all by myself. And nobody knows where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Rock and roll, guys.
2: Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com. We have our habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new habitat podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, You know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Vitalize Seed Company at VitalizeSeed.com. Packer Max Cultipackers. Exodus Trail Cameras. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Endless Horizons
1: Archery. Morse nursery
2: first light legendary forest products acres.co united country midwest lifestyle properties thank you so much guys for tuning in once again get back with us soon we're gonna have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers